Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. How are you from Portland? And special guest today, Martin Melinda. Welcome, Martin. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to Hello, have you everybody. here. For those who aren't familiar with you yet, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, so I'm a front-end developer, I guess. Well, and I am right now, I've been programming for, for I guess, quite a long time. I've been focusing on JavaScript for maybe past six, seven years, maybe more. And I was doing actually Ember.js for a long time. Then I then transitioned to React for a, for a few months. And then with my latest job in a company called Go Out, I started doing Vue, where when I actually got my hands on, on Nuxt and doing server-side rendering and all kinds of opportunities to create a very perform or try to pr- create a performant website with Vue. And uh, so I'm happy in, in the Vue ecosystem right now. Nice. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Seems like a, a steady stream of improvements as you've gone along in your JavaScript journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like I was initially I chose Ember because Ember allowed me to it, it had this philosophy of conventional configuration, which was like very, very needed for me in the beginning because I was just learning this on my own while I was studying on a university and I just needed some something act something that would give me some guidance. And Ember back then was exactly the thing that that gave me that. I think I think at that point, like React was was just starting. Maybe Vue was already on the horizon, but I didn't actually hear about it. Maybe maybe it, it, there wasn't people like Vue yet. And so so I, I started with Ember, which was this like kind of bigger framework, actually like a like framework on on the on the client side, one of the one of the one of the first ones. And and I was I think it kickstarted my learning honestly. And and then later on. It, it helped when I was ready, I transitioned to React where, where I actually enjoyed the, the flexibility of it. And, and then I settled finally to Vue. And I think Vue is like this nice middle ground where there are some conventions, there are some things, there are some, some recipes, how to do things right. And, and, but we also have the flexibility. You can use it as part of Nuxt where you have server side rendering. You can use it on like just sprinkle some components on your HTML, which comes from the server. Maybe if you're using Laravel or something like that, and you, or you just create something very custom and just a thing like a custom single page application and you can use your own, I don't know, router or something like that. So, so now I'm, I'm, I'm happy in this, in this area view. Yeah, that's what I like about Vue too. Is I mean, React is very powerful, and Ember is something that I've always been interested in. Just haven't found the time to learn myself. But I feel like with Vue, it covers all of the all of those different needs. Like you said, if you want to build a single page app, you can do it. If you need server rendering, you can do it. If you just want to sprinkle in some reactivity or some little bit of functionality, you can do that too. And it's 
Vue is very tailored to that approach. We're taking another framework like React, for example. It's it's funny because it was React's original purpose, but that's not really what it goes for these days. And it's really interesting to see how Vue has really taken over in that space. Right, right. And and I was like, I was happy with Ember, but with Ember, I hit like a limit. So it was a good starting ground for me, but I hit a limit. Like, I'm not maybe Ember improved in that area since then, but you couldn't break it up into smaller pieces. And and even the bundle size, like the, the minimal bundle size was quite big. So if you wanted to create some like kind of content-focused website, Ember wasn't a good option. It was a good option for maybe uh, a single-page application where you work in a bigger team. And But Vue is like, at the moment, I can uh, choose technologies around. I can choose Nuxt. I can choose maybe Vit. I can choose Vitpress and all these things around Vue. And I can I can find my spot there and reuse code and, and stuff like that. So that's very cool, I think. Also, for me, like coming actually from Ember, Vue was much more familiar than React because the reactivity system is is very familiar to Ember developer. So uh, you have computed properties, you have like watch, which in Ember would be observer, and you have some like reactive data, like uh, well, in the, with the options API to data, now it's like refs. And so Ember developer basically understands the reactive, reactivity system right away. So I was actually very happy. Like I wasn't happy in React land for like because of that, like all the use state, set state, reducers and stuff like that. I was like, oh, what is this? And then I came to you and I was like happy again. So now I'm curious, how do you feel about the uh, the move towards the composition API? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a very big fan of composition API. I really love the flexibility of it. And Actually, like I when I when I joined GoOut, the company I work now for, and I started doing Vue, the composition API just started going out. It was I think it was probably like some like early beta. And I was like, hey, this is this is great. Let's do this. Let's use this SAP. And we because we were using like a new version of the website with Nuxt, we just started using composition API everywhere, like as soon as possible. Also, uh, like so that the, the, the website will be like for the future proof, but also because of me, they did it with solidarity with me, so that I don't even have to like do options API anymore, and we can do everything with composition API. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I, it sounds like the transition went really well, at least in your team. Yeah, yeah. So far, I think I think like the options API maybe like adds you some structure. Like if you have options on your components and it's like the, the, it's an object, like you can have some conventions on, on the order of things while with composition api if you have one setup function you might like you might be tempted to just mix things very chaotically so you might mm-hmm. need some extra like a little bit of discipline or some like predefined some rules for yourself or how to structure the code within the setup function but other than that like i it's great like we have our whenever we want to actually composition we we can create a utility and use it across different components. And we have, yeah, I mean, I think it's a success story for us. How often do you find you're breaking things out into their own utility functions? It's almost like every day. Almost every day I create some kind of custom hook. Sometimes, well, sometimes I do it because I want to share things across different components. But I, honestly, sometimes I just do it like right away because it feels good that I want my component to stay reasonably small and... I create a new hook, some new use function, just because, just because it kind of fits in, and and I, I already have a feeling that this might get reused. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't had a great opportunity yet to migrate an existing 
application at scale. I've mostly been playing around with composition on small things and then using it as I can. So it's really cool to hear that it does actually fill the need yeah. and performs exactly as it's expected to. So this is really good. Yeah, so, so I'm not, I'm not actually aware like of how the same need was like fulfilled before. I guess there was the pattern of mixins, right? I heard about mixins, and I actually remember from like Ember that like the mixins was a thing in Ember, and in Ember it, over time it it turned out to be like a bad pattern, or it was not recommended. Like don't use too many mixins. Like your code will be a little bit unpredictable sometimes, and and but in Ember like the the solution wasn't i'm not sure actually what was the best solution there because probably like splitting logic into more components that was the main path in ember because so far ember doesn't have something like a position api ember is still sticking sticking to objects yeah if i if i remember with react properly as well they used to have this concept of mixins that view has and they dropped it early uh, where Vue continued to have it because of you know, supporting it in Vue too. Right. But yeah, I I've never been happy with mixins. I'll admit, when I was learning Vue, I got to the the chapter on mixins in the in the course I was taking. It's like, oh, I'm good. I'll I'll just come back if I ever need this. I, I used Vue professionally for like two years before I even knew how to use a mixin. Right. Right. Because it, it's not something that's it's not necessarily the right solution. There are other ways to do what you need. And I feel like Composition API is even better than those ways. Yeah. I think maybe like if you are working like in a small team or if you're working on just your own, your own, own code, like a mixin is fine because you are at least like a little bit aware of what the mixin is doing and where you have used it. But it can be just this thing that surprises you and that, which is not a nice thing. Yeah, I'll admit, I mean, we have, where I work, we have a very, very, very large view to app and we use mixins quite a bit and they serve their purpose in terms of taking commonly used code and making them available to multiple components. So you're not necessarily, it's not necessarily something you would load in state, for instance, not data, it's just functionality. And I suppose if you really wanted to, you could just create a separate JavaScript function that would, you know, you could import in, but it handles adding data items and methods and, and computed and stuff like that. But I know there's been times where I've been bitten, at least with mixins, where, you know, I'm looking at a component and something's happening and I, I'm like, where the heck is the data value for this? Or where's the method that's just calling in after an hour? I'm like, oh yeah, mixins. I got to go look at a mixin and, and figure out where it's, oh, there is the mixin. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there, there there's pros and cons to using mixins for sure right and I, if i like remember right like in ember there was a problem with mixins that sometimes it wasn't obvious how the merging of different mixin, mixins work so someone was surprised that some mixins like overwritten like some some methods were overwritten but some mix, some methods were actually kind of merged so something sometimes it led to unexpected results while if you are using composition api and you import a function and you call that and you get back a result. It's it's quite straightforward, I would say. Yeah. The other big issue I always had with mixins is the teams I was on tended when they were using mixins to have one mixin. So there was just this global set of functions that you wanted to make available in some cases. Right. Right. You just lost track of what was where, what was depending on what. You were it completely broke the ability to reason about what you're trying to accomplish and what functions are actually being invoked. Basically, everything was in a global scope, and that doesn't work right. uh, for, for debugging. So I feel like the Composition API is able to scope things down. If needed, you can use closures or something to, to have a group of functions together. Right. And I, I feel like that solves the problem a lot better. Right, right. Cool. Before we dive into our topic, I always like 
talking to people about how they got into programming. And you said you did programming for many years before you got into JavaScript. What was that path like for you? Yeah, so like first, I think like first websites I created because I was, I was maybe like 12 years old or something like that. And I wanted to have a website for my, like I was doing a different computer game, playing different computer games, something like RuneScape and some different MMORPGs and I was a member of different communities and I wanted to, to contribute something to the community and, and it was the website actually. So, so I created a website for my uh, RuneScape clan back in the day and it was visited. It was in PHP and I was, I, I bought a paper book, a paper PHP book and I was literally rewriting scripts from the book, like character by character and until it worked. And over time, I managed to create like a whole community center website for the RuneScape clan. And it, it, there was there were forums and polls and cust- like uh, even like a small custom CMS, like the a regular kind of old school PHP website. And until it got shut down because I was doing something stupid, like uh, doing SQL queries in a while loop somewhere <laughs> instead of joining tables. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I, I'm looking at my bookshelf behind me right now, and I can see my Rocks PHP 5 book that I first learned PHP in. Yes, that, that brings back some memories. So are you still using PHP? You mentioned your JavaScript stuff. Are you still using PHP like Laravel or something like that? Or uh, Not really. I, I transitioned to just pure front-end development. I can do like a little bit of, or not a little bit, I can, I can create a backend for myself in Node.js, of course, but I, but I stick to front-end. I, I chose to like specialize on front-end and maybe actually learn more about like the browser and, ha- and like the performance and, and these topics to create really performant user interfaces, which is like my main passion, I would say. And I figured that that focusing on front end will, or if I would like focus on full stack development or even some back end, my knowledge would spread too much, or my focus would spread too much, and I couldn't specialize that much. Yeah, that's a risk that uh, I know. The phrase that always comes to mind for me is is being jack of all trades and master of none. And there's a whole conversation to be had that has been had <laughs> regard, you know, about is there such thing as a true quote unquote full stack developer who's really good at the front and the back end? And I have seen some people who are that way, but I think they tend to be more of the exception than the rule. I guess it depends on, you know, how much you get to do on a regular and daily basis. Right. Actually, like when I think about it, like sometimes I wish I would have more back end experience or more back, more like deeper backend knowledge because I could argue with the backend developers more, you know? So because like I get the answer, like this is not possible of our database design and, you know, some, I'm making some demands on the API and I want, I want this in the API this way. And they say like, this is not possible. It's not doable. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. And I just have to accept that answer. So from that point of view, actually, I think full stack developers are great that full stack developers are, should be the ones who are able to design great APIs, actually great JSON APIs, because they know the need for the good a- JSON API from the front of, front, of, front of perspective, but they also have the knowledge on how to make it done on the backend. Yeah, I feel like as far as like a full stack developer, I think it's important to have that knowledge so that if you do need to make a minor change or you need to even 
propose a major change, you have some context. Like you're saying, you'd be able to argue with the back end devs. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're the one always doing it. So like in my team right now, we are all technically full stack. Uh, We're working in the back end, working in the front end. Some people are better at the back end. Some people are better at the front end. Our application uses a number of languages. Some people are better at one language than another. Right. So there's always that that take give and take in the team. Right. But because we have the knowledge of this is how a backend works. This is how our backend works. You can have debates and discussions about what's best to do, even if you're not the one doing it. So I, I feel like that's where full stack dev comes in rather than the the legendary 10x developer who does the whole thing by themselves. Right. Yeah, and it's true that like also if you have the full stack developers like in the team, maybe the discussion may be much maybe much nicer than you have if you have. So in other words, you knew enough to be dangerous and specialized backend developers. That can be quite a polarized discussion where with a lack of understanding of both sides. Yeah, at one company I was at, I was I was the lead backend developer, and there was a front end dev who knew some of backend, and we kept getting into debates because he was sure it could be done better, and you just need to optimize the SQL queries. So I just don't have the context. <laughs> I'd be happy to explain it to you. Right. He knew very much enough to be dangerous. Yeah. It happens. For me, like the term that that like makes me stop talking is like microservices. Like once I hear, oh, this is because of microservices, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, then I don't know, think about that. So I guess there's a reason for how it's designed this way. Martin, you mentioned that you focus really strongly in the performance on the front end. And I think that reflects in some of the, the stuff you've been doing publicly. Right. And that's that's part of the topic that we wanted to get to today is you wrote an article on Medium about lazy rendering in view in order to improve performance. And I'd love to dive into this and just get your take on why this is important and how how you approached it. Right. So so for me like it's important because like for A I'm I'm building this quite like content heavy website for for go out where we like serve information about events. So it's a it's like a ticketing website where you can discover different website different events about concerts and movies and whatever else is going on in your city and so we have quite a lot of quite a lot of content coming on from the back end and we have like great performance is important for us for seo reasons because like like the the faster the website is the better is marked by google the better your position in the google results or in other search engine results will be but also like of course we want to deliver a great user experience and so and the, the both topics of performance like the the the, fa- the fast boot which is of course uh, relevant to the seo and and also the topic of like fast renders and and fast scrolling and and fast transitions which is relevant especially for user experience so these topics are very relevant for us to create so that the users are happy and but it's not just that it's also like my my personal obsession like ever since i started like focusing on javascript and focusing on front end and creating user like user interfaces i just wanted to create things create user UI that is just enjoyable to use. And, and part of the enjoyment is to have to have it instant, right? Like compared to a traditional website where you click, wait, and click, and wait, maybe submit a form, everything kind of disappears, then you wait for the next page to load. I want things to be as instant as possible. And, and for that, actually, like JavaScript, like even like single page application, if you do them well, they will help you to, to deliver this like really good user experience. And, and that includes tricks, like maybe you need to do like some work in the background. Some work might need to be uh, delayed. Some work, some work actually you can do in advance. So you can 
preload certain things in advance because you you kind of try to predict what the user will do next. So you so you start to think in this mindset, which is a little bit different from the traditional mindset of serving website and 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 like serving the one HTML page and then serving another HTML page. And so I was like diving slowly into this topic of how can I how can I make things faster, right? How can I how can I make things instant? And and stuff like that, yeah. And so, so over time, over time, I developed like different strategies, like in go out. It turned out like I I experimented. Sometimes I would, we of course have some kind of store of we used Vuex. Now we use actually more like Pinia, where we let's say load entities from 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 the server and and we store them in our store and we can cache them, we can reuse them. So when a user is transitioning from page to page. If the entity is always already in the store, we don't need to fetch it from again from the server. And so, so we can have like instant transitions because of that. But even if you have the data cached in your JavaScript application, so you don't have to fetch it again from the server, just even the rendering, just, just the work by the, by the browser, if you, if you don't do it like uh, smartly might be too much and there might be jank, you know, happening or on, or in our main like homepage, we have a feed, a classical feed where you scroll and scroll and new things are adding in. And if your components in that feed are not optimized, or if you just like do too much work at the same time as the user is scrolling, there will be like jank. There will be, it will just periodically stop. So we wanted to have, for example, our feed, or I wanted to have our feed to be performant and like 60 frames per second fast, even if the, if the user is scrolling very, very fast. So, so these are the challenges that I started to face. And over time, I, I learned some, some tricks how to, how to manage this. Yeah, this sounds fascinating because I'm, I'm thinking of a big site like Twitter, for example. And even on either on mobile or on desktop, sometimes I'll see that kind of like you're describing a jank where it's just, it stops, it stops working properly. I think. I think of applications that I've worked on in the past where I've been like, how do we solve this? Vue has to have a way to solve this. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it, it, seem, it seems almost elusive, but obviously you've found some solutions. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. 
And I'm really looking forward to helping people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. How about you, Steve? Yeah, this is an issue. Yeah, we deal with it on GovTribe quite a bit just because we have some huge amounts of data that's being processed from Elasticsearch. And in some cases, we're doing some really data-heavy graph and chart rendering, you know, using uh, D3 and stuff. And so we've really had to focus on, uh, we use Bootstrap View, you know, that was something that was in place before I, I came here. But we're able to use some of their utilities so that, as you, instead of loading the whole page, and then you scroll up, it loads stuff as you scroll up. It doesn't try to render stuff on the page until you actually need to see it. And so that's that helps with initial page load speed because you're not loading everything and then only loading it sequentially as you need it. So therefore it puts a lot less strain on the browser trying to load a whole bunch of stuff because you're breaking it into chunks. But yeah, that's a, for very data intensive sites, then yeah, that could be, that's a very real issue. And I think I think like that's the answer to to most like performance problems. Like you need to identify the chunks of work that uh, that you need to do, and then perhaps if you want to like optimize it even more, then like order these chunks of work and to do the most critical work first, and then maybe do the less critical work later. And that and of course like if you are, for example, with our with our feed as we are scrolling, I use like several callbacks from from the browser like there is a callback called request animation frame which which i use to like in combination with the intersection observer so as the user is scrolling i get a callback from intersection observer hey like this this next item in the feed uh, got into the viewport and then i combine that with the request animation frame to render this next item just at the right time and so that's that's where uh, perhaps request animation frame is a little bit better than set timeout because the timeout is just saying, hey, like, do this asynchronously later. Maybe if you'd say zero, then do it asynchronously as soon as possible, or you can set some number, but but you don't actually know when it's going to fire and if it's going to fire at the right moment. And so request animation frame is a little bit better callback, right, which you can call and and to do the next rendering in the right moment. And, and another callback that I use is a request idle callback, which I use that if the if the user is actually for example stop stop scrolling then the browser becomes idle and i can actually render some more stuff in advance so that i can use this use this extra time to do some more pre-rendering uh, in advance but but that's so so some more stuff below the viewport gets gets rendered so so any kind of any kind of stopping of of the of the user when the user is like looking around at something, reading something, like we are trying to use this time to do to do stuff in advance. So just making sure I understand, this sounds like if a more fine-tuned approach than something like the intersection observer, where it's just triggering as things roll in, you're able to do that and have control over how things render and when things render. Is that yeah, I'm, I'm accurate? I'm using like all three. Like I'm using the re- right, right. animation frame, I'm using intersection observer, and I'm using breakfast dialog callback. But so this like this pre-rendering in, in advance is like extra strategy on top of it, so that I could remove mm-hmm. that. I could remove that completely and just rely on on the intersection observer. So the as user scrolling, I would get the callback, render the next item, and so on. But I have this extra strategy on top where I say, okay, the browser is idle, just keep pre-rendering up to let's say next fifteen items, and I could even set it to more. But then I would maybe waste unnecessary resources or stuff like that. 
Right, since the goal is to just prepare for what the user is probably going to see rather yeah, than exactly. load the page. And actually, and actually like this rendering like improved the user, user experience quite a bit because like if you just rely on intersection observer, you might you might it depends like how you set it up, of course. If you set up like a big root margin, it might be that it renders quite like a hat, even if it's not in the viewport, but it's just below the viewport before it renders. But but oftentimes if you just rent, rely on the intersection observer, if the user is scrolling fast, it, it's gonna be too slow. And so this pre-rendering to have like the first 15 items pre-rendered if the user is if the browser is idle is very convenient. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look more into this request idle callback. And I see in the article that we're talking about, you have an entire section on pre-rendering with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I basically like over so this is a this is a great example. Yeah. Over time I basically like create a, a generic component. I think in the article I call it lazy. In our code base, it's actually called mm-hmm. responsive because of historical legacy reasons. But I can configure that so I can have one component called lazy, which takes a slot, and in the slot I can pass any content I want, and then I can say like render this with like as soon as possible, render this when it's in viewport, render this, pre-render this when the browser is idle, and stuff like that. So so this one universal component is quite good because I can use it in this case of infinite scrolling in the feed. And I can also use it for other purposes, like if the browser is, or if the application is booting, maybe some parts of the app are more important than others. And maybe the sidebar or the footer or the navigation bar can actually render a little bit later. And so I would say, you know, make this lazy, pre-render it when idle or render it when the, in the viewport, when it's in the viewport and so on. Yeah, that term lazy loading to me is always being lazy. I think of it as being efficient. <laughs> more efficiently loading. It's not like, all right, I don't want to load this right now. I'm going to be lazy and I'll wait for, okay, it's here. I better load it. You know, that's not how I see it. It's more like, okay, let's be efficient and only load this when we need it. But anyway, that's one of my coding rants. Back to our regular scheduled story. I completely agree with the rant, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also like, it's a term that is officially used, right? Like even now you have, I, I th- even like in the browser, it's right. Like you have the image images, image tag, and it has an attribute called loading, I think, loading lazy or something like mm-hmm. that. So even, even the, even browsers embraced it. Yeah. But it sounds, it sounds, yeah, it sounds you- weird that like I'm writing a code that is lazy or I'm, I'm writing user interface that is lazy and <laughs> it's actually the opposite. Yeah. I've had to deal with, I think it was in Spring Boot when I was writing in Java. When I was fetching records from the database, I had to set the loading type as either lazy or eager. So it's just it's just across our domain at this point. Don't worry. Don't have much control over it anymore, Steve. I'm sorry. This this pre-rendering, like you were mentioning on the footer, that's something that I ran into on my personal site as well. In the last episode we recorded, I was talking about moving my site from Nux to Astro. Mm-hmm. And Astro has this concept of rendering certain uh, JavaScript components on the client. And you can set it to either client only or client idle or client, I think they have client lazy, I can't remember. Right, right. And it's very, very useful for for my use case where I have a, a footer where I was rendering a little bit of JavaScript and I have a theme toggle button, dark and light mode. That's just a little bit of JavaScript. And I was able to just say, just render this later. It doesn't matter. Just when you get the chance. Right, right. And it, it's so nice because... You don't need to worry about pre-loading and pre-generating all of that JavaScript before the page loads. You can render your entire page. Everyone can see your content. And then the JavaScript comes in to make things even more efficient. Yeah. And also, like, but on the, on the other hand, like we have, this is an area that is where it's getting a little bit more complicated because once you are dealing with SSR, like server-side rendering, 
this whole optimization and lazy rendering and lazy lazy logic is it gets gets more complicated. I'm not sure how it is with Astro, but with Nuxt, suddenly it's like it's like if you have just an SPA, you are kind of in control. Like you load from the server just just one HTML file and you load your JavaScript file. And then you are in control how things how things render, and maybe you render something faster, something slower, and so on. But once server side rendering is in process and you're is in is in play, and you get from the server an HTML file already with content, then on the next side you have hydration, and you cannot just load something like later because then you would have a hydration error. Like your your next would try to go over the HTML and on the H probably from the HTML you wanted to have all your content. You probably you can you can omit some stuff. You can definitely omit like some less critical things. But but oftentimes you actually want a lot of content coming from the server. For example, on our like events page, we want like a lot of events coming from from the server for, for SEO purposes and even for like fast boot purposes. But so if on a client side transition. We want to like render just a little bit of content and a little bit of content to have a fast client side transition and then keep loading the best, the rest like later. But if it's a direct visit directly on that URL and the, and you get back and the first response is covered by server side rendering and you get back a big HTML uh, response with a lot of content, you suddenly have to shift. And you cannot just say this thing that came from the server should now on, on, on the boot of the application render lazily because there you have a conflict. The, the client says, don't render this, and the server rendered it. And so I didn't cover that in the article. But once you deal with uh, server-side rendering, this whole topic gets even more complicated. But on, actually on the NASC side or on the view side in general, that's where you can use view lazy hydrate. So there is a library called view lazy hydrate, which kind of does a similar thing, maybe uh, that the Astro does, that you have a component, kind of like similar component like I have in the article. I have the lazy component. There is the, the, the component from this library is called lazy hydrate. And, and it has this logic that you say lazy hydrate when idle, when in viewport, or, or even like uh, you set a trigger hydration manually just when you want to happen, when it wants to happen. So I didn't cover this topic in the article because it would just get too crazy. But in our app, we do uh, combine our lazy loading approach with lazy hydration approach to, to make it all work. Again, yeah, and looking at this component now, the syntax looks very similar to what Astro is doing. Right. I imagine you could also use the Nuxt client-only component if you absolutely need to. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm assuming that's a lot less efficient overall. Would that be correct? I guess I guess so. Like in 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 theory, like if you get back a, like HTML from the server, like it is it is less work to hydrate it than to completely render it on the client. So in theory, that, that's like the purpose of hydration that you are saving work on the client. So right. So in theory, in theory, like yes, uh, lazy hydration is preferable to to the, the regular client only. Or you could you could do the client only, and then inside the client only, you can do any kind of lazy rendering you want. So you can even delay whatever uh, you could say, like render this when idle, but and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So the the client only is more for those literal client only cases where you can't run the JavaScript on the server for some reason, where lazy hydrate would fill in when you actually do want to server render it and you want it to be flexible once it's on the client. Yeah. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like we, we okay. use client only basically when when we have to. 
And, right. and when it comes to the content, we do use the lazy hydration. That's awesome. I'm going to need to find a use case so I can play around with this lazy component you you lay out in your article because this is really cool. Yeah, I, what, what, I, what I like about it is that it's flexible. So like it's something that I created on my own and I also like shared it in the article so you can basically copy paste it, you can play it with it yourself. And I use it basically everywhere. And so I'm kind of like happy with it at the moment. I'm, I can adjust it, I can tweak it. Before that, I, for example, tried to use the virtual scroller. So there's... For, for the for the algorithm of feeds, uh, so as the user is scrolling, you, you load more and more items. There is a common algorithm called virtual scroller, and that one is good, but uh, it uses a strategy that is kind of strict, and it's kind of like a black box. So there is this like there is this component coming from a third party that is deciding when to uh, render your components, and it's adding some some styles on them, let's say height or or top and and left and some and if it goes wrong you don't know why and so you can have some glitches something renders badly or something it there's gap between your components and like debugging that is not a lot of fun so if you have a list of components that is that is very like regular so that each component has the same height and even has the same structure then probably you can just like feed that to the virtual scroller and it's going to do do its job very very well but if you have something custom then it can be hard to debug. And that's where like the lazy component was quite a savior because I could just put a debugger there. I could put a debugger in my in my lazy component and I could see, oh, the intersection observer is not firing or this is this is called too late and and I could right. actually fix the issue. Yeah, this is really nice. Are there any so thinking broadly, not specifically to the article, are there any other obvious cases where you would recommend somebody to take a certain action in order to improve their performance using a view application, either Nuxt or just a standard SBA? Yeah, like maybe like a general advice actually isn't like anything you use specific. Probably like the starting point should be like learn how to use a profiler in like Chrome DevTools. So try to load your app with with the profiler op- like on and just look around because even if you do like rendering like laser rendering if you do maybe you simplify your components so that uh, you use let's say vf everywhere instead of v show or you maybe limit some media queries and you do some conditional rendering through javascript instead of relying on media queries and so if you even if you do these tricks to reduce the amount of work for the application like there might be just this one weird thing in some kind of third-party library or something that is just massively slowing down your application. And so you've optimized your application and you've got like 10% increase there, 10% increase here. But actually there is this other thing that is slowing down your app by five seconds or, or something crazy. So I would say like the first step is to to open a profiler and like debug the first load. And then maybe even like once once you... Once you go through that, then then observe what's happening when you click around in the app, and maybe if you are scrolling, uh, because you might find some like very easy, like a low hanging fruit that you can fix, perhaps replacing a library with a different one, or or don't use not using it at all. So that's really the first first step. And and then if you are using Nuxt, then like using Lazy Hydrate. It seems like just without without like my lazy rendering uh, thing, which is which can be a little bit more advanced. If you're just using lazy hydrate, that can be quite like plug and play. That you just add it to your app and you say, okay, this is this is less important. Render is when idle, 
and this is more important, but but actually like render it only by any viewport because maybe for example the mo- like if you have if you have a like some kind of hamburger menu where a sidebar is sliding into a viewport, like make sure that you don't render that sidebar content if you don't need it, for example. Right. Or or if you if you get the content if you are using Next, then you probably want to have the sidebar in the HTML. So you then you cannot just don't render it. You have to render it, but then you can use the lazy hydrate on it on the sidebar and say hydrate this when in viewport. Because like once the once the user taps on the hamburger like icon, then the sidebar shows up into the viewport. Lazy hydrate catches that and and hydrates it just in that moment. And so you improve your first uh, time to first or time to interactivity. Actually, that's where that's where like the lysic hydration really helps. That it improves your time to interactivity. Awesome! Thank you so much, Martin. This has been great, and definitely recommend that everyone check out this blog post as well to see the code that we've been talking about this whole time. It's definitely a really interesting concept, and the the component is just there you can just copy paste like you said start using it in your own code so if you're running into issues with lazy loading just grab it just try it out <laughs> yeah i think i think it's a good start what's stopping you <laughs> yeah or just write write a better one write a better one maybe it's not that hard cool well thank you so much martin this has been great talking with you hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. At this point, we're going to move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things we like with the community. They don't have to be programming related. And Steve, would you like to go first? Yes. Let us start with the part of the podcast that everybody waits for, the dad jokes. So... Recently, I did some traveling and and on a plane, and on my way back, I overheard this conversation. And so a flight attendant was like, hey, do we have a doctor on board? And I heard a guy next to me say, I have a PhD in mathematics. And she said, well, we have one passenger who's having a heart attack and one passenger who's having an asthma attack. And he said, yep, that makes two. So, uh, oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. I missed my chance. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. A little slow on the uptake. Hopefully, the editor gets that in this time. And then, you know, I won't say, hold on. Yes, I won't say that cosmetic surgery cured my depression, but it certainly put a smile on my face. That's the double whammy right there, double whammy. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. And that's all I have. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. I will go next. So on the topic of performance, I'm going to pick PerfBuddy. PerfBuddy.com is a tool put out by this.labs. It does a scan of your site. One of the things it does is check the uh, the Chrome Lighthouse scores or the Google Lighthouse scores, but it also does additional scanning as well. Check W3 standards and give you some ideas on what you can fix. So highly recommend that tool. I've been using it on my personal site as I was doing the migrations from Nux to Astro or Nux to Veed or whatever changes I've been doing. I've been running it through this tool just to see how see how the tool works, but also see what I can do to improve performance on my own sites. So recommend checking that out, perfbuddy.com. Shout out to this.labs. My second pick is a blog post by Anthony Fu uh, that just came out yesterday, Reimagine Atomic CSS. And I know Atomic CSS, Utility CSS is kind of a, a hot topic on Twitter. Try to avoid it on there. But Anthony has been working on an interesting tool that he is calling Uno CSS. And rather than being a framework, he's describing it as a CSS engine where you can plug in certain rendering 
libraries such as Tailwind or Bootstrap or Windy or whatever, and then generate all of the CSS classes that those libraries use. And then you can also use this to build your own CSS, either framework or design system. And it builds on the same kind of path that either Tailwind or Windy CSS has been going down to, to make working with those utility classes even easier and make the dev experience even faster. So again, looking at performance. Highly recommend checking out this blog post. Make sure there's a link in the show notes for it, but it is antfu.me slash posts slash reimagine dash atomic dash CSS. Recommend checking that out. And it looks like there is a an online playground and you can start using Uno CSS if you want, but Anthony notes it is experimental and it is also just an engine. So take some work getting to getting to work. It's not a one-to-one replacement if you're using Tailwind or Windy or something else right now. So those are my two picks. Martin, do you have a pick for us today? Yeah, I think I think just I have just one pick. There's this one thing that improved my life uh, quite a bit uh, for the past few weeks, and that's a sleeping mask. So I finally I finally started using a sleeping mask, and I think like ever ever since my sleep got just a little bit better. Probably I don't like it's not it's not like twice better, but it's just a little bit better, and that already that like nicely transfers to the quality of life. So I'm happy about it, and it's not a big purchase. It's a uh, it's a few dollars. So for me, just the general pick is like try a sleeping mask. It's a it's a good experiment. I use personally a Manta sleeping mask, so I can pick that one and quite happy with it yeah because it's a little bit better than like maybe the ones that you get on an airplane like maybe get a little bit better one because it's the one that shuts off like all of the light so that's my pick yeah i use one too we were talking about that before and the thing for me is that it keeps out the light you know it makes it dark that for me the darker it is the better i sleep you know you know my wife for instance especially during the summer she loves to have the windows open and loves to have the windows open and stuff coming in i'm like no no i need some dark <laughs> i need some dark so yeah that's sort of a compromise i guess between the two of us where i can have my darkness and she can have her light right and i think also like there's like a psychological effect to this that if i put a sleeping mask on it's like a signal like it's time for sleep so I can no longer look at my phone. I can no longer like look around my room and and whatever distract myself. But it's just hundred percent darkness, and and the sleeping mask means it's time to sleep. I like that. Might have to try that myself. Definitely don't want one of the airplane ones. They don't miss uh, being on an airplane that badly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, Martin, where can people find you if they want to continue this conversation with you? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on Twitter. So I think a quick Google will will find me. And you can also follow me on Medium. So I write quite semi-regularly on Medium. I'll try to write more often, but but I think that's it. Like Twitter and Medium, that's where I'm, that is worth following me. Excellent. Thank you. And hope you all enjoyed this episode. And I hope you will go and follow Martin because Martin's awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Martin. Thank you too. It was a blast. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more of us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. And you can find Steve on Twitter at Wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again next week. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.